When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, February 25th, 2024. My name is Mark Daly and it is just ticking towards half past 10 here in the evening in Vancouver, Canada. So for all intents and purposes, the weekend is over. And what a weekend it's been. It's been cold and damp and windy and stormy and just basically miserable here in Vancouver over the past couple of days. I mean, hey, Pacific Northwest is going to Pacific Northwest and... Yeah, rain and miserable weather is basically what we put up with this at this time of year, and it's waterproof basically everything all the time, but it's all good. And of course, uh, like many of you, I spent a good portion of my weekend uh, sitting around and watching Drive to Survive on Netflix. Season 6 dropped a couple of days ago, so I binged that on Friday evening, and in you know, first thing Saturday morning when I sat down with my, you know, for breakfast, basically the phone came out and just picked right up where I left off on uh, on Friday night, and uh, really enjoyed it, uh, but we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. Uh, before that, uh, just a couple of things I want to talk about. Got a couple of uh, really interesting things I wanted to talk about on the show tonight, but I'm just going to kind of tuck those away and put them into a folder for now because we've got some preseason testing to talk about. We've got uh, some miscellaneous news to talk about. We've got some Christian Horner news to talk about, and that's all before we get into my take and my reaction, which has become like an annual thing on the latest drop of Drive to Survive. So I'm no, uh, I know I'm being a little bit of a tease, but hey, that's uh, that's all good. Want to give everything you know proper time and air and uh, do it all justice. So I got some cool things I want to talk about, and we'll do that uh, in an upcoming uh, episode. All right, before we get into the show tonight, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Race Weekend magazine. You can head on over to their website, theraceweekend.com, and that is weekend W K N D, and you can use my promo code ScuderiaPod at checkout to save ten percent on a year subscription. And once again, that is theraceweekend.com and weekend is WKND. Also check out racingexclusives.com. Tease and the crew have assembled a, a fantastic collection of authentic Formula One memorabilia and uh, you can find them at racingexclusives.com. Really, really cool stuff. Comes with a certificate of authenticity which makes you know you got the real deal which is always really, really cool to have in any Formula One fans uh, collection. Also backed by uh, popular demand is our, um, our Formula One Fantasy League and guys, <laughs> let's be honest, they're the F1 Fantasy site is just terrible. I was uh, trying to get this set up a couple of days ago. I posted something on X before I did the show on Thursday night, posted the link, and people were asking, was this thing live? Can't find it anywhere. I got a message saying that the league name was under review, and all it was was Scooter F1 Pod or Podcast. I can't even remember because when I log in now, I can't even find the league in the inside their stupid site there. <laughs> Anyways, it is up and live. It should be there. I have posted a number of times uh, today. Uh, the, the, the link to it and also the, the code for the league. If you have a pen and paper or you want to type this into your phone quickly, you know, 
just uh, do that right now. And the code for the the Fantasy League is Charlie8RomeoOscarQuebecZuluQuebec0Yankee10. I'll say that again. It is Charlie8RomeoOscarQuebecZuluQuebec0Yankee10. Anyways, uh, also check out uh, Scootery F1 Pod on X, and I will post that. It should uh, be fairly easy to find in our timeline. And let's uh, get as many people to sign up as possible. Uh, it was good fun last year. They seem to wait a little bit uh, too close to the, the the start of the 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 start of the season. Pardon me. I seem to remember this time last year that it went live only a week or so before before the start of the season. You think they give people a little bit more than a week? to get everything all up and running, but it's going right now. Like I say, take a look for it. I do have a number of prizes uh, set up. Um, Still trying to get hold of the one half scale uh, autographed Pierre Gasly helmet away from Mark Hamilton. Still haven't heard from him and, Still don't know where he's at. Hope he's doing good. Anyways, uh, that was presented uh, to the listeners of this show by uh, Racing Exclusive. So hopefully we can uh, get that for the eventual winner this year. But I got a a bunch of other prizes and get that all sorted out in the next little bit so I can announce those. And uh, looking forward to it. Uh, This year, I promise I will be a little bit more diligent and make sure that I do put my team in on time so uh, I can take part rather than setting my team at the beginning of the year and then never doing any maintenance and then basically ending up in the bottom third of the the Fantasy League. Anyways, uh, that's my promise to that. All right, um, just uh, quickly before we get into uh, things here, I wanted to talk uh, about my thoughts about uh, Season 6 of Drive to Survive. Before I do that, I just wanted to uh, read the latest news here on the ongoing Christian Horner investigation. Uh, You know, this has been ongoing now for what the last two, two and a half weeks. Uh, You know, these allegations of uh, inappropriate uh, behavior that have been uh, levied against him. And, uh, you know, there's an internal investigation going on at Red Bull. You know, there have been all sorts of uh, people that have made, uh, you know, comments on this and uh, press releases, Formula One, Red Bull. Uh, You know, the latest uh, today was uh, Jim Farley, who's the CEO of Formula Ford and uh, you know Jim had uh, you know, it was pretty pretty uh, blunt and uh, you know pretty straightforward in what he had to say so the full statement uh, hasn't been uh, released uh, but the Associated Press has uh, seen a copy of it and uh, Jonathan Noble at Mo- over at motorsport.com uh, managed to to find out a little bit it's posted a couple little quotes um, in the uh, in the letter which uh, you know like I say has been seen by Associated Press uh, Jim Farley said to Red Bull that uh, Ford is quote increasingly frustrated however by the lack of resolution or clear indication from you about when you anticipate a fair and just resolution of this matter uh, we are likewise frustrated by the full lack of transparency or the lack of full transparency surrounding this matter with us your corporate partners and look forward to receiving a complete account of all findings um, then the uh, goes on to say um, quote as we have uh, indicated previously without satisfactory response Ford's values are non-negotiable. It is imperative that our racing partners share and demonstrate a genuine commitment to those same values. My team and I are available at any time to discuss this matter. We remain insistent on and hopeful for a resolution we can all stand behind, end quote. So just a a quick uh, reminder for for those of you that might be a little bit uh, new to Formula One. Red Bull currently has the Honda engines that weren't Honda engines, which are now Honda engines. Long story, it's confusing. Anyways, Honda engines, the back of those cars, they're going to be uh, racing with those for the next couple of years until we go into 2026. And uh, previously, you know, when Honda was kind of waffling and deciding what they wanted to do, whether they wanted to stay in Formula One or not, 
Red Bull decided to get their own uh, powertrain division uh, up and running. So that's called Red Bull Powertrains. That's been up and going for a couple of years now. So they partnered, you know, in, in this intervening time, they partnered with Ford, who are going to be a full partner, uh, you know, starting in 2026. 20, uh, but, you know, there is things going on between them right now. I mean, Ford's already started to, to flex on that. If you see the pictures of the, the, the factory for RBPT, you know, there's the Red Bull logo beside it, the Ford logo. So this is a real thing. But, you know, Jim Farley is pretty clear that, you know, if things are not satisfactory, if they, if it's not to their liking, it's pretty obvious when you read between the lines that uh, this could become a major thing when uh, he says in that one line that Ford's values are non-negotiable. And then he goes up further on to say that we remain insistent upon and hopeful for a resolution we can all stand behind that, um, you know, if, if this doesn't work out the way that they, you know, that they expect and they want that are in line with their corporate values over at Ford, and rightly so, um, that there potentially could be problems. And I, I find it a little bit interesting that, that you know, Red Bull, according to what's been leaked by uh, AP on this, uh, you know, on this letter that went from Ford to Red Bull, that they, they feel like that, um, you know, they haven't been completely, uh, you know, transparent or forthcoming and everything going around the uh, the Christian Horner allegations and the investigations, and they really feel like they should be uh, brought up to speed. And let's face it, there's there's big money, there's there's a lot at stake here in reputations, and Ford obviously doesn't want to be have their reputation stained. And and you know if something's gone on with uh, at Red Bull, and you know this is all just speculation. Don't want to get uh, you know too far into that. But if things aren't completely to their liking, who knows uh, what they would do? And it makes you wonder if. Uh, that uh, relationship or that partnership could be uh, strange, uh, strained or damaged or, uh, you know, who, who knows? Maybe there's uh, some language in there that uh, they could potentially dissolve it. I mean, he certainly sounds very, very concerned. So this is a situation to keep an eye on for many, many reasons. Okay, well, let's uh, jump into the discussion about uh, Drive to Survive Season 6. As I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, this is something uh, a lot of us have uh, invested our time in over the weekend. There's what, uh, eight or nine, ten episodes, I guess. What, what is it? Uh, eight episodes? I can't even remember. I just, I felt just in general that it, it flowed a lot better than uh, than it did the last year. Yeah, so there, there would have been ten episodes. I'm looking here at my, my, my notes, which is good because, like I say, I think it, fel- it flowed a lot better than season five. And I, I really felt it was a lot more enjoyable. So... I felt, um, you know, they went back to their roots a little bit. I felt like last year in season five, it was a bit of a struggle. You know, they, they typically tend to be seasons of about eight or 10 episodes there or thereabouts. And last year I felt that when I sat down to watch it, and it, this has become like a ritual over the past uh, several years, that when the new drop comes out uh, a week or two before the season, it's basically just to jump in with both feet and, and sit down, get the popcorn, and and basically, uh, you know, power through the entire the, the entire season. And it's a great way to, to kind of recap the season that was. It's not always 100% accurate to what happened the season before. They tend to focus on certain storylines than, than, than others. And a lot of the, the threads kind of weave their way through the entire season. They don't always necessarily tell the full picture of what happened in the championship. But you know what? That's fine. For you know, if you're if you want something that's uh, more granular or really gets down to the nitty gritty about Formula One, how the sport is run, how the cars are designed and built, it's probably not for you. But having said that, 
a good portion of people that enjoy this program or the, this series enjoy it because they do tell a good story. I mean, the the production, the photography and everything around it is is first class. It has been right since uh, the very first uh, season came out back in, what was it, 2018, 2019 or thereabouts. And uh, that that high standard has just been, you know, constant uh, throughout uh, all, the, all, all the six uh, seasons. But this year, I felt like they got more back to, there was a lot more on the track action you know, the, the, the storylines I felt were a lot more of the things that maybe we didn't hear a lot of, uh, during the season. And I saw a lot of criticism on social media over the, the course of the weekend. Well, you know, it's not really legit because Max really didn't get involved and, you know, like there, there wasn't as much of Red Bull and stuff like that. And I mean, there was, and there wasn't, I mean, there, there wasn't as much Christian Horner and Red Bull stuff uh, as there was over the past uh, couple of seasons, but you know what, I'm, I'm honestly okay with that. I mean, Red Bull and Max and Checo, they, they got all the, 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 the headlines. They got all the focus over the entire season. And like on this show, it just seems that for one reason or another, that a lot of the headlines, a lot of the storylines that come up in Formula One, especially over the past uh, couple of years, always to seem to be very Red Bull or very Red Bull adjacent. You know, they always seem to get pulled into, into the headlines. And of course, you know, with a, a sport, we have 10 teams and 20 drivers you know, that, that, that that pool, you know, that that news cycle, it's going to be pretty, uh, you know, small and the stories are going to be, you know, there's not going to be a lot of them all the time. And when you get like a season where we had in 2023, where Max and Red Bull were so, so dominant and all the records that fell, I mean... Yeah, you know, whatever. We can we can have that uh, discussion about, you know, dominance in Formula 1 maybe making the sport a little bit boring, but we shouldn't take away what Max and Red Bull did last year. I mean, they built a fantastic car. Max raced a fantastic season. Honda built a great engine, obviously, put it uh, to put in the back of that car. And all those records that came tumbling down and all the races that Max won, I mean, he won all but one race last year, and uh, which was nicely documented in, in season six. That was uh, Carlos Sainz winning in Singapore, uh, you know, in, in, in the second half of the season. But, you know, I, I feel that that notwithstanding that the, the season was very good. I, I felt like they touched on a lot of the different stories that maybe didn't see the light of day as much as they should uh, should have over the course of last season. And if they did, maybe it just didn't stay in the consciousness of uh, of, uh, of the Formula One fans as long as it, as, as it should have, if that kind of makes sense, if you know what I mean. But it was enjoyable. I thought it was uh, really good. I mean, you go back and I'm not going to go down you know, completely, you know, episode by episode, I'm going to go down, you know, quite a bit, uh, and, and, and tell you about like the, the, the different things that I liked, uh, about some of the episodes and some of the storylines, but I think, uh, you know, it was good. You know, I, I think that in general, the, the folks over at box to box films did an excellent job of making for what was honestly a very boring season. Regardless of the fact that Max was basically flawless and for an entire season and that Red Bull was basically bulletproof for an entire season and the mistakes and mechanical problems that they had were very far and few between. So despite the fact that Max smashed all those records, he won the championship, won all those races, 
there wasn't a lot of exciting, you know, fighting at the front of the grid. I mean, there was plenty of action in in other parts of the running order and in other parts of, especially in the constructors championship, which uh, was a was was a good focus of uh, of season six of DTS. But I thought they did a great job of making what was essentially a very boring season in 2023 into a very very enjoyable. 10 parts uh, series for season six of Drive uh, to uh, Drive to Survive. As usual, you know, there was plenty of uh, Gunther Steiner. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because he's become a bit of a cult figure in, in Formula One absolutely because of uh, how he's featured on Drive to Survive over the last uh, number of years. And I thought it was a kind of a poignant right at the very end of episode 10. I think it was called uh, Red or Black when it uh, kind of comes down to the story of uh, Ferrari and Mercedes fighting it out for, uh, for the last, uh, for second place in the uh, the Constructors' cha- Championship. You know, there's this uh, kind of like the, this one kind of like before kind of fades to the credit, there's, there's one final screen that says Gunther Steiner's contract with Haas was not renewed after the end of the 2024 season because, you know, it was interesting throughout the year and, you know, throughout the season and throughout the previous seasons, you know, you see Gunther on the pit wall, you see him being interviewed, you see him talking to the drivers, sometimes out begging sponsors for money and things like that, which uh, was not uh, unusual. But, you know, you always hear like these uh, clips uh, where where Gunther goes into his office and, you know, completely different body language, completely different uh, tone of voice, talking to Gene Haas, and uh, that's kind of how the, se- the, the, the season wraps up after Abu Dhabi. Uh, you know, Gunther goes into his office, closes the door, and you can hear him talking to Gene, and you can hear Gene kind of like, you know, saying a couple of things, and then, you know, was, uh, what an effing season that was, or something to, the <laughs> to that effect. It kind of fade to black, and Gunther's uh, contract wasn't renewed. But I also thought it was an interesting... Um, scene there. I can't remember which episode it was. It was also a little bit kind of like touching. I thought it was a little bit of a, you know, fairly human scene where Gunther's in Italy. He goes to uh, uh, Mattia Bonato's uh, vineyard and uh, Bonato obviously was uh, let go by uh, Ferrari after the end of the 2022 season. I just talked about him a couple of days ago now that uh, he's taken a job um, still in the automotive industry, but out of uh, outside of Formula One. And that's the first time that uh, he's been, you know, done something like that. I mean, he's been involved in Formula One for over 25 years, but I thought it was a very personal, a very intimate moment. The two of them sitting there in in, in Matias' uh, vineyard, you know, having a meal, having a, a glass of wine, and I couldn't help. Well, I mean, of course, um, you know, looking back, it's always uh, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? And you know, knowing now what uh, what Gunther didn't know when that scene was filmed, and, and who knows at what points last year that scene in in, in Bernardo's uh, vineyard was filmed, but it was kind of interesting because I, you could kind of get that vibe that you know Bonato I mean he was always kind of like a bit of a chill relaxed kind of character but uh, I, I felt that uh, you know, he, he seemed much difference it seemed like there was no I would say intensity but uh, you know you could tell that it seemed like he was a person living with much less pressure on his uh, shoulders and I couldn't help but wonder if that was uh, a little bit of uh, intentional foreshadowing I kind of even wonder wonder then if Gunther was wondering well you know could I do something like this once, you know, my, the curtain falls on my career in Formula One? And I thought it was kind of interesting, too, because he said uh, something to the fact in, in that scene that he hasn't done exactly the things that he's wanted to do or achieved the things that he's wanted to 
to achieve in Formula One in his career and kind of wonders uh, how, you know, how and when and if that uh, might ever come to pass. And at least for now, it's it's not going to. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit uh, later on in the show, but we'll jump into it. And another person that's uh, become, I wouldn't say uh, a, a cult figure, but somebody that's uh, featured uh, quite a bit over the past couple of years is uh, Aston Martin chairman, uh, Lawrence Stroll. And Lawrence is a, is an interesting uh, person. And, you know, obviously the father of Lance and the, uh, you know, the owner, the person behind uh, Aston Martin, both the, uh, the, the road cars and also the formula one team. And it was interesting because I guess it was two years ago. Now there was uh, you know, when it was still racing points or maybe it's, maybe it's even longer ago than that, uh, that that but uh, you know when it was still racing point and they're sitting in there and he's like the the, the chairman now he's uh, you know promoted himself to executive chairman and hey why not if uh, you know you have the clout and the wherewithal to you know own a team and uh, a car company like Aston Martin you can call yourself whatever the heck you want but again a very very intense kind of person and you know I have no doubts that uh, when it comes to business that uh, Lawrence Stroll is a very ruthless and a very focused and a you know knows what it takes to be a successful in business. And I, I can't help but think that despite the fact that they struggled last year, that this will be a team at some point that does manage to pull it together and is able to weigh, you know, for a challenge for wins and podiums. I mean, it was exciting to watch uh, what uh, Fernando Alonso did uh, last year, especially in the first half of the season. Until they kind of got off track with the the upgrades that were actually downgrades on their car, and uh, it was it was a great story up until that point. But uh, I, I found it quite shocking uh, when it was revealed just the extent of the injuries that Lance Stroll had because. Uh, at, at the start of the, uh, the the season, when he had that uh, you know that biking accident, and uh, again you sort of talk about these intimate moments, and you know you see Lawrence talking on this uh, you know on on the phone to Lance after he hears uh, about the accident and his injuries and things like that, and when you see Lance getting into the car in Bahrain, you just got to be thinking, boy, Lance, buddy, should you even be doing this right now? And it just uh, goes to show you just like how competitive uh, Formula One is and, and just, uh, you know, human nature of uh, athletes that, uh, you know, they, they just don't, you know, they think they're good to go, right? It's just, uh, it. I, I've seen it many, many times with, uh, you know, elite level soccer players that uh, when they come back uh, from injuries and when they're rehabbing and things like that, it's like, oh, I'll work through it i'll be fine i'll just train and i'll uh, i'll be okay but uh it was uh really really interesting anyways i'm going to take a quick break and come back on the flip side going to still be talking about uh, drive to survive for a little while yet so hope you enjoy the, uh, the the discussion so please don't go away we'll be back after a short message from our sponsors in just a moment passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right, welcome back to the show. Mark Daly here. This is episode 518. Yeah, season nine of Scuderia Formula One podcast. Been going for a very, very long time now. I was just looking at my my agenda here on the other screen and it's like, wow. <laughs> I kind of just like sunk in. That seems like a very big number here. But yeah, I've been around for getting close to uh, a decade of coverage and uh, loving every moment of it. Okay, back to um, Drive to Survive Season 6. So just going back to some of the the, the different threads that I think that uh, were really, really interesting that uh, kind of uh, wound their way and weaved their way through the entire season. And one of those was the whole situation with uh, Alpha Tauri and Danny Ricardo and Nick DeFries and Liam Lawson. And I thought that was really quite, you know, quite well done because the, um, the, the second episode in the series I can't remember which one it is now um, or what it was called, but it basically documents the struggles that Nick DeFries has and then deals uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the, the moment that he's let go and Danny Ricardo was brought back in. And I thought it was pretty cool to get that behind the scenes footage of watching Ricardo in a Red Bull at uh, Silverstone, bit of a damp track. And, you know, it, it's funny, right? I mean, you, you talk about, or I was talking about just now about how Drive to Survive made uh, Gunther Steiner, Steiner, pardon me, to a certain extent, uh, a, a bit of a cult figure. And I think that uh, Danny Ricardo, uh, his popularity is also due in large part to, um, you know, his appearances in Drive to Survive over the past uh, several years, because he is that uh, outgoing, flamboyant uh, personality that he just does well in front of the camera. And, uh, you know, <laughs> usually what Danny says and does on the show really works. And I, I think he just is a fair he is like the way that he comes across a, a bit of a silly goofy at times uh person that's uh you know i think he's quite genuine but it, it's it's cool too to see those moments when he's behind the car and you know in the car and behind the steering wheel how much it uh, it, it means to him and you know the drive that he has to get back and it, it's interesting too to hear you know christian horner's thoughts on how things with uh, Ricardo's career progressed or maybe devolved uh, after he left Red Bull and went to Renault slash Alpine and then over to uh, McLaren and then has kind of given this this opportunity to come back to Red Bull this time last year as a reserve driver and the fact that he was going to be doing that and then also as uh, you know somebody that was going to do a lot of marketing for them nobody really expected uh, that he would be back into a car after you know sitting out for eight months or whatever it was. But, you know, if you go back and see just how badly Nick DeFree struggled and it, it's, I would say it's funny, but the irony is there because Ricardo struggled after he left uh, Red Bull, went to Renault and then McLaren and those cars never really worked for Ricardo's style either. And, and DeFree basically says the same thing that the Formula One car uh, that he had at Alpha Tower in that ATR 10 last year was a difficult car to begin with. And, you know, DeFries, you know, being very successful in F2 and Formula E and things like that just wasn't able to wasn't able to drive the car, you know, that uh, Alpha Tauri as well, and ultimately paid for it uh, w w with his job. But anyways, it's really nice the way that uh, that story kind of goes. And I thought it was, uh, you know, quite interesting when they get to the part uh, at Sanfort uh, later in the season, uh, you know, in, in practice, uh, when um, when Oscar Piastri crashes into the barrier, and then it's uh, Danny Ricardo that comes around and has to take ev evasive action and plows into the tire barrier himself just to avoid 
driving into the side of uh, Oscar Piastri. And there is like some irony there, right? I mean, Piastri is the person that basically, well, he, I mean, he didn't basically, he took Ricardo's seat at McLaren and uh, forced uh, Ricardo to the sidelines and he wasn't driving a car. So, I mean, there, there was nothing malicious, obviously, of uh, Oscar Piastri, you know, crashing his car on purpose or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's ironic in the fact that, you know, Piastri goes into the barrier, the Ricardo's the next car that comes along, takes the evasive action to make sure he doesn't crash into Piastri. And as a result of, uh, you know, his actions breaks his hand, which keeps him out of the, uh, the next uh, number of races as he heals and gets, uh, back to, to, to full health, uh, as well. And, um, it's you can feel those emotions, right? Uh, that's why I think that uh, Drive to Survive they do such a good job because you know it feels very authentic. It feels very real the way that they they play all this footage and they get all the players involved, like uh, you know Ricardo, and they get Christian Horner, and you see these scenes like with Ricardo and his manager and stuff like that. And you know you you really do feel like a fly in a wall at times. You you feel like you're sitting in the garage, you're sitting in a in an office, or you're sitting at some Sometimes in their hotel rooms or in their, you know, their, their, their own cars and their, their homes and things like that. So it, it was very, very, uh, you know, it was very quite, uh, you know, emotional and intense and things like that. And I, I felt it was interesting too, because especially when you get towards the, the end and the, the episode, I, I believe it's called the threes a crowd because then, you know, you, now you have this, uh, they look at it, uh, you know, the whole Alpha Tauri slash Red Bull story later in the year and Christian Horner, this is what I think is interesting too. I mean, we talked about it last year on the podcast here many, many times, and it was written about and talked about everywhere else is just what's going to happen with Sergio Perez at Red Bull? Like, like how safe is his seat? And, you know, Christian Horner basically comes out and says and drive to survive that that seat for 2025 at Red Bull is up, uh, up for grabs. I mean, he doesn't necessarily say that it won't be Sergio Perez getting that drive, but I think he's basically throwing it out there that, hey, whoever wants the seat can come and get it. If somebody wants to come and race beside uh, Max Verstappen after this year, after 2024, then, you know, compete for it, fight for it. Uh, you know, if you want it, come and get it. It's it's yours. So I wouldn't say that uh, Perez is necessarily out. I was just, I was really quite fascinated that uh, that Horner was was so open in the fact that uh, the seat is uh, completely up, uh, up for grabs. And Ricardo, of course, I mean, he's... You know he he's pretty upfront about his uh, as well, saying that his uh, chance to drive an Alpha Tauri again is his opportunity to get back to Red Bull, and that's what uh, his big aim is, and that's what uh, what he's gunning for, and that that makes uh, complete uh, sense as well. I did think it was interesting too how they did manage to to work Liam Lawson into the uh, into the show as well. And uh, once uh, Ricardo had broken his hand in Zandvoort, uh, Lawson was the one that came and filled in for the next uh, couple of uh, races there, next several races actually. And I thought it was interesting because when you get to that uh, episode uh, three's a crowd at the end, you know they they basically come down to the, the you know it was like okay, well we're going to make an announcement tomorrow that uh, the, you know what our lineup for for next year is going to be 
here at Alpha Tauri. And it's interesting, even though that uh, these are two separate teams, that when it comes to the, uh, the the driver personnel decisions, I mean, Red Bull is absolutely involved. I mean, this is a separate car, even though it's got the uh, the separate engine in in it. And Peter Bayer, who's the CEO of Alpha Tauri, and I know they got a uh, new structure this year and everything. What with uh, France Tosta resi- resigning or not resigning, but uh, retiring after the end of last year. But um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the car and the design and development and build of the car in Fans in Italy, it's completely different. But boy, yeah, Red Bull is they're all over the uh, decisions for the uh, for for those drivers. I mean, it, it's it's been apparent over previous seasons of Drive to Survive, but this year I think uh, even more than, uh, than than ever. But it was interesting. I'll play this clip in uh, just a moment. Uh, but after it was done, I was actually quite uh, you know quite taken aback by the the attitude of uh, Liam Lawson. You know, here's here's a young guy. You know, he's had success in junior formula, but uh, you know, still to really be proven in in, in formula. Formula One. I'll let his words uh, speak uh, for for themselves. So let's uh, take a listen. It's tough knowing that you know I don't I don't get the seat even though I've just I've been the guy that's getting a seat. I, yeah, I don't know how to f-ing answer that honestly because it's meant to be me. So. Yeah, so there you go. It's a, <laughs> why try to descri- describe it when you can hear it from uh, the source uh, the, the themselves, right? But like I say, I was quite astounded to hear those uh, comments uh, from from Leon Lawson. I mean, Yuki Sonoda is is an interesting driver, and and it's there's been a lot of ups and downs with him over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, you know, there, he was quite uh, featured quite a bit over the last uh, couple of years on DTS, and there there's been you know stories and comments about him for quite some time, and his his maturity and his commitment and things like that. But regardless, and you know, with that, I mean, we all know how quickly Red Bull can pull the trigger on, on drivers and, and change things around. Ask uh, Danny Kvyat, ask Pierre Gasly, ask Alex Albon, ask uh, Nick DeFries, etc. I mean, they've pulled the uh, pulled the plug on drivers partway through a season many, many times in the past, and I wouldn't be surprised again if if they do it again in the future. But when it comes to somebody like uh, Yuki Tsunoda, despite the troubles that they they may have had with them, and of course you can make the political argument that. To some extent, he's probably in that Alpha Tauri because he's Japanese and Honda is a Japanese engine manufacturer and they may have some influence uh, on having him in that car there too. But I don't know. I mean, we, we all know that uh, that there's politics in Formula, One's and, uh, Formula One and things like that are fun to speculate about. But even if that is true, I think that, um, you know, to, to a certain extent, if if Honda does have that influence in getting a Sonoda a seat or having a say on whether or not he, he drives there, that if it was an untenable situation, I'm sure that AlphaTauri slash Red Bull would, uh, you know, would dig in their heels and, you know, especially knowing that they're only going to have these Honda engines for a couple more years anyways if they decide that they want to punt the driver that's been put there by or you know has said that Honda's had significant uh, say on you know having a seat at Alpha Tauri what do they really have uh, to lose because if uh, things don't work out you know what's going to happen they're not going to have their engines anymore they're going to have their their engines after the end of next year so you know 
I doubt they could uh, sever that relationship. And would you really sever the relationship over, you know, the firing of a driver? However, the point is that I think that uh, Sunoda is going to stay around because I think that they still think he has uh, potential. Likewise with uh, Ricardo, even though he's uh, 34, going to be 35 uh, this year. I mean, Fernando Alonso is proving that you can be 40 plus and still be a very, very competitive driver. Lewis certainly at uh, 38 going on 39. Doesn't look like he's aged uh, a day more or less, but uh, still as quick and as uh, good of a driver as uh, as ever. So I don't think uh, that is necessarily uh, a mark against uh, Danny Ricardo. but it uh, it was an interesting situation to see and to see that specially addressed on uh, Drive to Survive. I, I, I was really, like I say, taken aback by some of the, uh, the comments in that very short clip by Liam Lawson. I almost felt like he felt like he was entitled to get that seat because he basically comes out and says that he beat the guy that got his seat. And I felt like he was talking more about, uh, well, he was, he was talking about Sunoda rather than uh, Danny Ricardo. but uh, uh, interesting to, to hear those uh, words from Liam Lawson. So uh, we'll watch that. And of course, uh, we'll see what uh, what happens with Lawson. He's going to be the reserve driver for Alpha Tauri and Red Bull or V-Carb or whatever we're calling them the, this year. Kind of just wish they go back to Toro. So, but whatever. Say <laughs> la vie. Um, another good thread I liked on the uh, on the show this year was the, the whole uh, Alpine situation. And it was funny too, because so Horner says at some point uh, that, uh, and I may have butchered this quote a little bit, but I wrote it down on my notepad. It was something to the effect of uh, how Alpine and how the team operates is a bit of a mystery. So definitely got that vibe because you had Laurent Rossi and then Bruno Bruno Fameh. And, uh, you know, it was just... uh, I don't know. It just, the team seems a bit shambolic at times and the whole way that uh, they kind of documented the the parting of ways with Otmar Safnauer. And And it's funny too, because Safnauer, you know, he seems almost like a little bit of a, you know, like a soft touch when it comes to like his management style. You know, he seems like he's, uh, you know, almost too nice at some points. And, uh, you know, and of course, when it comes to the production part, they're always going to pick up the the, the the best sound bites and the best, uh, you know, the best clips and things like that. But uh, it was an interesting, uh, another sort of thread that weaved its way through the entire season. I thought it was interesting too how uh, they did document the relationship between Esteban Alcon and Pierre Gasly and how the bad blood between those two drivers goes back quite a a long way. And I thought it was cool too that they got a lot of this old footage of the the two of them from when they were kids, when they were in karting and kind of coming up uh, through the ranks. And uh, so that was always uh, cool to see. And and it's funny that, uh, you know, when they kind of talk about it more, I think uh, there there was more Gasly talking about it rather than, uh, than, than Alcon. Uh, especially I think at one point, uh, Gasly says, yeah, that this is basically where things started to go sour was, was right here. But it, it's funny too, like as that kind of goes on and their season kind of blew hot and cold, more cold than hot. And they obviously uh, struggled, but, uh, it was interesting towards the end. I, I almost kind of got the vibe, uh, from, from Pierre, uh, Pierre Gasly that even though it was a rough season, I felt that, that, um, the way that he sort of described it was that the the relationship uh, between Akon and Gasly is maybe not as frosty as it was, uh, you know, a year ago or prior to the the two of them uh, becoming teammates at uh, Alpine. Uh, 
another thing I like too was, uh, as usual, there seems to be uh, plenty of uh, McLaren. I always uh, like to hear uh, Zach Brown, Lando, uh, Lando Norris, that is, is uh, a good person to, uh, you know, to, to always see. You know, he's kind of a funny guy and he's got a good uh, personality. It was good to, to see uh, Oscar Piastri a, a, a bit because, you know, he, last year, I mean, he, he comes in as this uh, hot prospect and this rookie. And I'll, I'll be honest, when it comes down to like the race itself and the season gets started, I tend to read things more than watch things. And, the, you know, what I like more about like Drive to Survive than say like uh, any of like these uh, press uh, conferences or media scrums and things like that is they do get this more natural, you know, drivers, not only in their natural environments, but just basically drivers when they're maybe not so much caught off guard, but uh, drivers when they're just relaxing and just being themselves. And that gives it a a completely different uh, perspective because I've seen it a million times, you know, like in a press conference or a media scrum, especially with soccer players, you know, you see them, you know, they're they're one person away from the mic or the camera, and then they get up there uh, on a podium or into a, you know, a scrum full of reporters. Everybody's got their phones out, their recorders out, and, you know, they completely change. (laughs) It's just like somebody who was completely chill or funny. They get into this mode because they either don't like it or they're not good at it, or they're a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of both of those, you know, turn into this very sort of bland and uninteresting person or sometimes a little bit adversarial. I mean, they're not all like Danny Ricardo, unfortunately, but uh, you know what I mean, right? Um, so it's it's kind of nice to see these uh, more unscripted uh, moments, you know, especially when it comes to like uh, drivers like Lando and Piastri and all of them for, for that fact. Um, th- what I also liked too was it was interesting to see more of the... Um, behind the scenes at, uh, at Mercedes and the struggles that they had. And I thought a lot of the, the quotes from, um, well, all of them really from, from George Russell to Lewis Hamilton and total Wolf. And it, it's funny too, because now that we know, because, you know, Lewis made the announcement was about two and a half weeks ago now that, uh, he's going to switching to Ferrari for 2025, that a lot of these comments that were made either by Lewis or Total Wolf during this latest drop of, uh, Drive to Survive, they now seem either oddly prophetic or super ironic in, uh, you know, when, when you look back at them, you know, there's one quote from Toto basically saying that, uh, Lewis would <laughs> look very strange wearing red overalls of, uh, Ferrari and, uh, basically Basically, he's going to be a, a Mercedes driver forever. And, you know, Lewis saying that, uh, you know, Mercedes is home and he loves it, etc. And all these things. But there, there's one clip, and I'm going to play it here in a moment, where where Lewis, you know, he talks about, you know, the he's talking, I guess, about the, uh, the, the you know, the car from the year before. So would that be the W13 or the W14, whatever it was in uh, 2022, and just talking about the struggles that uh, that they had and what was wrong with the car. And he told the the designers and the engineers is what you need to to do. You could, I'll play it. You know, it's better if you hear from Lewis himself, but we'll talk about it uh, in a moment because it's very interesting. If you go and watch that episode, you know, I, I recommend watching that, that, that clip with Lewis. It's about a minute, 45 seconds long, you know, something like that, about a minute long. And just uh, look at like the, the, the body language and the, the, the way that Lewis uh, reacts. Anyways, let's listen to it now. Last year, I remember complaining to the team and and like, look, we have to make these changes. Like, otherwise, this is the trajectory we're going to go on, and this is where we're going to end up. And it's, it's, please, please do something about it. And I remember that day he said, like, um, we know what we're doing. Um, you're wrong. 
And that was definitely an interesting moment. I mean, I just, I was like, okay, I'll step back. Don't want to step on anybody's toes. And, and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> when we got into the season, then we spoke again and like, oh, maybe you're right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, interesting, right? It's uh, if you go and listen to, to to Lewis, and especially if you look at that or watch that clip, the body language and the way that uh, he reacts, that I, I can't help but wonder, like the way that he was treated over that. You know, you know, Lewis, you're wrong, but you know, actually, a year later they come back, and you know, at least according to Lewis Hamilton uh, <laughs> and his account, they told him, well, you know, you were actually right all along. That that seems to really bother him, and and that's why I say when when you watch that 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 interview that that part of Lewis's recollection, his body language and the way that he turns, his head kind of goes down and he's looking away from the camera. He's not looking at the camera anymore. It seems like he's really gone to another place mentally and emotionally. And, and I think that whole sequence, uh, you know, that whole, um, that, that whole episode, uh, really, really, uh, affected him. Uh, anyways, I want to take a, another quick break here. When I come back, there's still a couple more things from drive to survive. I want to just uh, talk about finally wrap that one up and then get into, uh, some more stories for, for testing and then wrap this show up again, uh, for, for this, uh, this evening. And we'll do so in just a moment after a quick break from our sponsors. All right, welcome back to the show. Yes, yeah, so still talking about uh, Drive to Survive. Couple final uh, thoughts here before I kind of put this one uh, to rest. So, episode eight, Force of Ferrari, absolutely brilliant. I think uh, out of the six seasons of Drive to Survive, it w- was one of the best, if maybe not the best, episodes that they've ever uh, put together. Certainly, I think for me, it'd uh, be uh, top three. Don't really want to spoil it too much uh, if you haven't seen it yet, but definitely go check that out. Uh, the final episode, episode 10, Red or Black, was a, a good good recap of the last uh, few races of uh, the 2023 season and the fight between Mercedes and uh, Ferrari to clinch second of the constructors. A couple other things that I liked in season six. Um, this first one, you know, I've seen some mixed uh, opinion on this, but certainly I'd like to see more of Danica Patrick. I enjoyed what she brought to the show. I also enjoyed what uh, what Claire Williams, the former team principal of uh, Williams, which was her dad's uh, team, or at least he founded it way back in the late 1970s. I like what Claire brought to, to that as well. Uh, I thought she was very insightful, also very personable. And Fred Vasseur, you know, if there's a, a, you know, maybe someone to be the successor to Gunther Steiner, maybe Fred Vasseur is that, you know, he's certainly been featured or showed up in previous uh, years of their seasons of Drive to Survive, but being the team principal of Alfa Romeo or Sauber or whatever it was at that time, you know, it was just, uh, you'd have like a little appearance here or there, maybe a couple of things, but now being team principal at uh, Ferrari certainly figured uh, quite a bit in uh, this latest season, you know, a bit of a cheeky sense of humor. You know, I I really like, uh, you know, Fred Vasseur of uh, what, what I've seen and, uh, Honestly, kind of like cheering for him to see what uh, he can do with uh, Ferrari. Now, this may be a bit of a more controversial take, but uh, moving forward, and this is nothing really personal against Will Buxton. 
I know that he knows his stuff. He's been around forever, but I kind of feel that, uh, you know, with the additions of Danica Patrick and Claire Williams and, well, maybe not uh, Fred Vasseur. I mean, you know, Danica's a, a former driver. Claire's a former team principal. And, you know, Buxton, like I say, he knows his stuff, but let's kind of freshen, freshen up a little bit. And also I can't help but wonder, you know, maybe is it time to see, you know, kind of work Gunther out of it now that he's maybe done in Formula Well, who knows if he's done in Formula One, but uh, maybe as a as a team principal. I mean, he's had a great, uh, great run as well. But, uh, you know, is it maybe time to freshen up some of these recurring characters that have been uh, around for uh, a long, long time? Um, like I said, I mean, there was, well, I guess it really depends which uh, which episode you, you talk about here. I mean, so I mean, there's still plenty of Christian Horner and Red Bull as there have been in previous years, but maybe not quite as much. I th- I thought they did a good job kind of spreading everything as well. And like I say, I, I didn't really mind too much about uh, the fact that maybe they didn't talk too much about Red Bull and Max in general, other than maybe the big highlights and the big things, because like I said, at the, at the top, I feel like they got uh, plenty of coverage on it. And also too, like, like Max, I mean, like I've heard a lot of people kind of criticizing oh it's not the same you know if max isn't involved you know what it's not his thing and it, it like i was saying just now that when it comes to like getting involved in doing media work that that some people like it some people hate it some people like it but aren't good at it some people hate it and are good at it and some people you know whatever it is max is just one of those people that don't want to do it and you know he comes across as you know that's i mean he says his bit and things like that but you can kind of tell it's not really his thing because it's funny, whenever you see like Max interviewed, he kind of does, says his piece and whatnot. But I thought what is interesting when you see some of these, uh, you know, archival, maybe not archival bits, but some of these other bits of footage that have been thrown in there, apart from Max, you know, talking to the camera and just, you know, answering whatever it might be. You see this Red Bull charity shoot that was at Christian Horner's uh, estate, some of these different uh, promo stunts that they do. When you see Max just kind of being Max, he seems to me to be a bit more of a normal kind of like person, right? Like I I feel more of an authentic vibe rather than, you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined kind of attitude. Not that he's Marshawn Lynch, but uh, you know what I mean? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't feel as, uh, as forced. So I kind of enjoy to see those unscripted moments. Pardon me with uh, Max Verstappen uh, that uh, that kind of like get dropped in there because I then I think we see a little bit more of the the the, the real Max. So, anyways, that's uh, just uh, you know my little take on it. And then um, just a couple of things here. The, finally, to wrap it up after watching all the ten episodes, all the different storylines that were kind of uh, weaved into it. I can't help uh, but feel that uh, th- that this year I'm really going to be cheering for Danny Ricardo, and, and I'll admit I'm the first person to really kind of like uh, you know go hard and lean into like these uh, underdog stories and uh, and people like that. I mean, it would be a great redemption story to see Danny Ricardo come full circle, be able to get back to where he was and uh, get that seat back at Red Bull. I mean, th- that's a very very tall order. He's just one of many many drivers that uh, want that second seat uh, beside Max Verstappen at Red Bull. And- in, uh, 2025 maybe he does it this year maybe he doesn't maybe he ends up having a good run with alpha tower or v carb or whatever we're calling now 
Um, Carlos Sainz, I just, uh, you know, I, I feel that, you know, I'm going to be like a, a pretty big Carlos fanboy this year. I think that, uh, you know, again, he's got something to prove. You know, he's uh, become the odd person out at uh, Ferrari, losing out uh, to both Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton. I think that uh, he's got something left to do in Formula One. And uh, certainly I thought it was a, kind of a funny moment, a cool moment when after the uh, Singapore Grand Prix, when uh, they tell him to go and uh, turn the car off, and he's like, that's P1. And he says to his engineer, say it again. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny that the whole singing the smooth operator, I thought that was a, a cool kind of moment as well. And another person I really uh, liked as well was uh, was Alex Albon. Uh, he featured uh, quite a bit more. He seems like he's got a, got a nice personality and it was kind of funny too when he was kind of, t- you know, kind of scripted everything for box to box films, just uh, talking about the whole Danny Ricardo story. You know, he's sitting in the car there with Logan Sargent, his teammate, and kind of script, you know, I can picture exactly what happens now. You know, Nick DeFries you know, struggles, he gets fired, Ricardo comes in, you know, Honey Badger is back, <laughs> the whole thing. And it's kind of funny because that came later on in the show, like after like Ricardo and that whole Nick DeFries situation basically worked out the way that uh, that uh, Albon had said. So it was kind of funny that, uh, you know, that 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 happened. And I'm, I'm sure the folks at uh, Box to Box Films, uh, you know, <laughs> was probably loved that moment because it was a it was a great soundbite and a, and a great moment on the on the camera there. And the other thing is too that uh, just in general that you know like it, it's funny when you you look at these uh, the, these drivers and you know how much they put in and and covet getting one of these seats in Formula One. It really is amazing, right? That uh, sometimes you know you get kind of like emotionally kind of attached to them and you cheer for them and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when you look at the lifestyles that they they, they live, and of course not everybody in Formula One lives these glitzy, glamorous, you know, lifestyles, but when you see them, they've all got these, you know, six figure, like value watches, you know, expensive clothes and houses. And they live in all these exotic locations. They have these gorgeous wives and girlfriends and things like that. It's just like, the end of the day, if they lose their seat, they're still going to be living, you know, very, very well and be very, very well off. So, you know, maybe, uh, I've become a little bit kind of like cynical about them, uh, or cynical about it, but you know, if somebody was to lose their seat, I don't necessarily feel super bad for them that, uh, otherwise, cause they're still going to be doing uh, pretty good, uh, in life, but Hey, that's, that's just my take. Finally, just to wrap it up, you know, like I say, I think that season five much, or sorry, season six, pardon me, of uh, drive to survive big improvement of, uh, over season five, I think they got back to their roots, much more watchable, much more enjoyable, flowed really, really nice. Like I say, I watched uh, six episodes on Friday night, no, seven episodes on Friday night, sat down, watched the, the, the last couple Saturday morning. It just flew by compared to season five, which was, uh, you know, really, really draggy in my opinion. And uh, so I would say, you know, a solid eight and a half out of 10. So there you go. Anyways, let's uh, talk now about uh, preseason testing. The third and final ta- day, pardon me, at uh, Bahrain wrapped up on uh, Friday afternoon. And it was uh, Charles Leclerc putting in 74 laps in the Ferrari. His fastest time was a 130.322. That was uh, compared to uh, a 130.368 uh, set by uh, George Russell and the uh, Mercedes uh, W15. So only four and a half tenths of a second, four and a half hundredths of a second uh, difference uh, between uh, George and 
and uh, Charles in their fastest laps. Uh, George uh, putting in 67 laps. Joe Guan Yu was uh, the third fastest driver on uh, Friday in the Sauber. Joe's fastest time was a 130.647 or about three and a half uh, tenths behind uh, behind uh, Charles Leclerc. They had uh, Max Verstappen putting 66 laps in the RB20. Max's fastest time was a 130.755 or about four and a half tenths uh, behind Charles Leclerc. Then you had Luke, Yuki Sonoda, Alex Albon, Oscar Piastri, Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, and then Sergio Perez rounding out the, the fastest 10 times on Friday. Sergio, uh, his fastest time was a 131.483, which was about 1.15 seconds uh, behind uh, Charles's uh, fastest uh, time. So they were all running uh, the C3 or C4 tires. Lewis was uh, actually running a C5. His fastest time was 131.999. That was almost 1.7 seconds slower than uh, Charles Leclerc. So anyways, uh, that that wraps up uh, testing. If we look at some of the overall time, so the the, the fastest driver of uh, of uh, the, the, the 22nd, which was Thursday, was Carlos Sainz. He had a 129.921. Um, as I mentioned on Friday, the fastest time was, uh, was Charles Leclerc, a 130.322. And then if you go back to Thursday, the fastest time was uh, set by uh, Max Verstappen. He had a, a 131.344. So certainly it's it's very, very interesting to, to see who did what. If you look at some of the miles that uh, the different teams put on their cars, so if uh, leading the way in that category, Haas, they put in 441 laps or the equivalent of 2,386 kilometers over the three-day test in Bahrain. Ferrari, not too far behind. Uh, they uh, put in just uh, over 2,200 uh, kilometers of testing. Red Bull, 2,100 kilometers. Sauber and uh, Aston Martin, both uh, in just a, a hair over 2,000 kilometers. Red Bull, just a hair under 2,000 kilometers. Uh, Williams at the bottom, they only put in uh, 299 laps, which is uh, just a uh, about 1,600 kilometers or 1,000 miles a run. Uh, the driver that put in the most uh, laps was uh, Kevin Magnuson. Uh, the Haas driver, he put in a 1,200 kilometers or 239 laps. Uh, second uh, most laps run was Carlos Sainz with 224. Danny Ricardo for VCARB with 210. Max Verstappen, 209. And Nico Hülkenberg uh, put in uh, 202 kilometers, or pardon me, 202 laps in the, uh, in the Haas as well. So the uh, the engine stats. So Mercedes logged the most uh, kilometers in Bahrain, thirteen hundred and sixty-seven laps, or seventy-four hundred kilometers of uh, mileage for the uh, Mercedes-powered cars. Ferrari had uh, 1,236, which is uh, the equivalent of uh, 6,689 laps, laps, pardon me. Honda was uh, 758 laps or 4,102 kilometers. And Renault uh, was 3,000, sorry, 334 laps, which is uh, about 1,810 kilometers. And of course, that's all proportional because uh, Mercedes uh, and Ferrari, they do supply more engines uh, to everyone else. So it's a uh, kind of a uh, goes together uh, with the amount of laps uh, run. So, you know, as a, as I've been saying for the last uh, couple of shows, sometimes it is a little bit uh, difficult to kind of benchmark uh, between the different uh, teams where they kind of match up uh, to one another because they're, they're not always running the same tires, the same trim, the same fuel loads as, uh, as anyone around them. But where it gets uh, interesting is where you see some of the different uh, comments from the different uh, teams and the different drivers or the different uh, team principals or engineers, whoever it might be, just to where they feel, where they're kind of matching up 
compared to themselves or their observations compared to where they might be in relation to some of their other, t- the other teams out there. Um, so Lando Norris from McLaren, when uh, he, he was talking after the test on Friday, Lando had the, uh, the, the following to say, quote, do I think we've taken a step forward? Absolutely. Do I think we've made a lot of things better? Yes. But you just never really know at the end of the day where we stand compared to the others. I think we're in a good position. We had a decent car at the end of last season. I think we've definitely Definitely taken some steps in the right direction, but I think it's still a very long way behind Red Bull and a long way behind Ferrari. So plenty of work for us to still try and achieve, but also plenty of things that we've learned over the last few days for us to implement before and next week. Uh, Norris did go on to say um, when he was asked about uh, uh, you know just about the car, the MCL 38, and the the, the testing, and just uh, maybe some of the little uh, problems that uh, that popped up uh, during testing. He said they were not the end of the world went on uh, further to say uh yes just a few setbacks here and there over the fast uh, last few days not the end of the world definitely but you always want a perfect day we didn't get any long running high fuel stuff thursday night and we moved into friday morning and we still didn't get it so not exactly what i wanted but still plenty of things learned and a lot of stuff that i wanted to get done i was happy for the most part but there are a couple of little things i wish i could have done more end quote so interesting a, a bit of a mixed uh, reaction from from lando norris there uh, um, you know, feels like they've made some progress. And it's interesting too, because, you know, even somebody that's there, one of the drivers that's in the car, that's uh, seen, you know, all his competitors out there still doesn't really have um, have a good uh, benchmark of how they measure up against others. But still, he feels that they may be behind Red Bull and uh, and Ferrari. And I must admit that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit hopeful that uh, Ferrari's managed to, to do something to close the gap. Because, I mean, certainly in terms of pace, they were there right up there with Red Bull at the at the end of the season. I mean, it, it might not have been uh, demonstrated as uh, as much as uh, as we would have liked to see in terms of, say, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz fighting out with uh, Checo and, and, and Max Verstappen. We didn't really see that uh, very often. But I mean, th- there were signs last year that uh, perhaps something uh, good was uh, was happening. And, and McLaren, of course, last year, they got off to a very, very rough start. And it wasn't until, you know, just a, a month before the summer break when we we got to the the Austrian Grand Prix just after the uh, you know July fourth, you know just at uh, that time of the summer that uh, that's when those first rounds of uh, really really major upgrades hit the car and it was immediately the um, the improvement uh, that uh, that we saw for Lando. Uh, and uh, then Oscar Piastri gets them a week later and they never re- really looked back. I mean, they, they did much, much better going into that second half of the season than when they struggled through the first half of the season. So it's it's interesting that, you know, that, uh, that Lando's kind of almost like, you know, don't don't overpromise and uh, maybe kind of uh, maybe deliver more when it comes to the season. So that'll certainly be a situation to to keep uh, an eye on. So if uh, you take a, a look at some of the uh, the comments from Aston Martin's technical director Dan Fallows, he he says that uh, they, he feels that the team has made uh, what he called the hope for steps with the uh, you know the AMR twenty four, which is uh, the new car that they have uh, this year compared to uh, last year's uh, car. Anyways, uh, Fallows had the, uh, the the following to say quotes. 
Uh, we, when we went into the season, really looking at uh, for a step over the winter, we wanted to make sure we did get an improvement. Even though it's an evolution of last year's car, we wanted it to, to be a strong improvement as well as a strong evolution. And we have seen that step. We've seen that benefit. So we're very pleased about that. I think the most important thing for us is where we go from here. We weren't 100% pleased with what we achieved in our in-season development last year. And we wanted to make sure that we can compete at the top level in terms of in-season as well. I think we are mostly keen on making sure we made a step on last year, which we have done. So I think we can certainly tick that box, end quote. So very, very interesting. I mean, that I think that's a, a very, very good, uh, you know, admission from from Dan Fallows that, uh, that, that I think was obvious for everyone last year. He said, we, we weren't 100% pleased with what we achieved in our in-season development last year. And I think that is a, a bit of a, you know, well, I'd say, let's say that's a, a massive understatement because the, the, the development and the, uh, you know, the, the upgrades and I'm doing the inverted commas here, <laughs> so you can't see it, but the upgrades actually set them back uh, during the course of last season. They didn't, uh, they didn't have the effect that uh, the McLaren's upgrades had for their car. And uh, certainly they went backwards because I mean, Fernando was one of the great stories of the first half of the season, all those podiums and uh, all the good things that Fernando Alonso was doing in that AMR 23. It was, it was a great storyline. It was, it was fun to watch and to see that pace that that car had. And the fact that uh, Fernando still has the fight and that uh, he was taking it to all the uh, other drivers around him. And the fact that he was consistently able to deliver it more than, than his uh, teammate Lance Stroll, who of course, uh, as we found out, uh, was struggling with that uh, broken hand and toe and everything a lot more than maybe we uh, we knew uh, during the season. But still, I mean, let's not take anything away from Fernando. When that car, that AMR twenty three, was working well in the first half of last season, I mean, it was it was just a rocket ship, and it was cool. Some of the comments that we saw in uh, in Drive to Survive were some of the I think it was Lewis uh, that said that uh, the Aston Martin was a rocket ship, and it was funny. Some of the other quotes from uh, some of the other people, I can't remember who said it now, but it was something to the fact it's like well how did the Aston Martin get so good and the reply from somebody else was something to the effect of well they just hired a bunch of uh, aerodynamicists <laughs> away from Red Bull which I thought was a, a bit of a funny uh, a funny quote but certainly uh, interesting that uh, some of those comments by by Fallows but yeah I mean uh, he does nail it uh, they they do need to improve their in-season development because we have seen especially last year their out-of-season development uh, the, the development from 2022 to the 2023 car was a very very good. I mean, it was a, a much, much bigger improvement last year than we saw in the, uh, the, the, the car year previously. And, uh, as you see, like anytime you hear Lawrence Stroll interviewed, not just in drive to survive, but anytime, I mean, he says that this is a team that, uh, they want to build into a, a championship uh, winner and a race winner. And, uh, you know, if they can get all these uh, things right, then there's no reason to uh, to to think that they won't achieve their their very lofty uh, goals. Uh, anyways, uh, Mercedes has also um, been made some or had some interesting comments over the last couple of days, and they've uh, acknowledged that they got more work uh, to do uh, when it comes to getting their qualifying pace and maximizing that with the W15. So, their trackside engineering director Andrew Shovlin uh, said earlier this uh, week that uh, they need to do what he called 
called, uh, quote, more work to do on a single lap um, when it comes to, uh, you know, their, their qualifying and their free practice pace. Anyways, uh, Shovelin had uh, a couple of quotes in a social media debrief a couple of days ago and uh, as follows, quote, we're still trying to fine tune the setup. There will definitely be more to come. Overall, we're happy. We've definitely made progress in terms of pace. The long run probably looks like our strength at the moment. There's more work to do on a single lap, but we should be in a position to hopefully put in a good showing when we get back on track. Uh, It's really encouraging with a lot of the problems that the drivers have been talking about in the last 12 and even 24 months with the W13 and W14. We seem to have got a grips with it, end quote. So, there you go. Some uh, some uh, minor or some acknowledgements that they've made some uh, improvements. But again, uh, it sounds like uh, very much like Lando Norris's uh, comments. They're very aware of the fact, Mercedes, that is that uh, they still have uh, some tweaks and things that they need to do to to maximize uh, performance. So uh, Pierre Gasly, the Alpine driver who uh, featured uh, quite heavily in uh, Drive to Survive, uh, he had uh, some quotes as well about uh, the new A five two four, which is Alpine's twenty twenty four Formula One World Championship. Uh, contender. Uh, Gasly said that the car doesn't look great after the uh, the, the test in Bahrain. Uh, Esteban Ocon and Gasly were only 16th and 17th of the year, or uh, pardon me, uh, they were 16th and 17th out of the overall times uh, for, the, uh, for the test. And it might not be the slowest car out of all 10 teams, but it's still uh, got a lot uh, that they need to do to get it where it needs to be. Uh, Gasly was interviewed by Sky TV and he said, quote, to be fair, I haven't really focused on the others because there's been so much going on on our side. I don't think we look great, but at the same time, we still have a couple of days to really understand everything we've done. We've put our car upside down, done a lot of tests. So hopefully some some analysis and answers will bring us some more performance and then we'll find out no one will hide anymore next Friday. But then I think we'll have to be patient, even if it's not like uh, what we like as drivers, but clearly it might take some time before we really unlock the performance we want from that car, end quote. So there you go. Maybe if uh, you're looking to pick your Formula One fantasy team for next year, maybe you might want to, maybe not want to lean too much into Alpine and uh, Gasly and his teammates, uh, uh, Esteban Alcon over the, yeah, or at least for, for the next uh, couple of races. Okay, uh, time for one final break. Be back in a moment. Uh, just a, a couple of last uh, stories to talk about before this wrap uh, this show up. So we'll do so in just a moment. So please don't go away. All right, welcome back to the show. And as I mentioned, there's just a, a couple more little stories I just want to just uh, talk about before we turn the lights off for one more night and uh, get ready to, well, go back to regular life for a couple more days. Uh, anyways, uh, this was a kind of an interesting one because uh, I saw some of these uh, quotes here from uh, Fernando Alonso was just uh, talking uh, about uh, his position coming up uh, this year. He's uh, out of contract at uh, Aston Martin at the uh, end of the, this year. It's funny too because uh, Claire Williams said uh, at one point in uh, Drive to Survive, uh, the latest season, that uh, Fernando's been very, very good about, uh, you know, and I'm just kind of parsing and paraphrasing her comments here, but he's done very well to kind of position himself and uh, move to the, the the team and the car that uh, would basically give him the best uh, challenge or the best opportunity to to do well in, in Formula One. So as I mentioned, uh, he's out of contract uh, at the end of this year. He's been there for a couple of uh, years. 
years. So he's 42 right now, still looking really, really good, very com- uh, competitive. Last year, we marked 20 years since uh, Fernando's first win in Formula One. Uh, but uh, he had a couple of things uh, to say at uh, during uh, preseason testing in uh, Bahrain. He uh, feels like he's in a really good uh, position to no- negotiate a new deal to wherever he ends up uh, next year. Uh, anyways, uh, Fernando had the following quotes. Uh, in my case, it's very interesting because I have, I think, a good p- position to negotiate, but I want to at least do the first couple of races without thinking too much. I want to see myself into a new season. It's going to be the longest ever season in Formula one at 24 races. I want to change a little bit uh, some time of travel schedule and things to be really efficient this year and arrive with high energy at the end of the year. So a couple of things that are my main focus uh, now are not so much next year. Uh, then he goes on uh, to say that uh, just sort of talking about uh, Lewis and his uh, move to, to Ferrari. Uh, quote, it was, it was a surprise. I was expecting maybe around summertime to have a little bit of action, but it started early. There were some leaks. Probably Mercedes and Ferrari have to announce earlier than expected. So after that, definitely more action going on. So Fernando is uh, basically saying that uh, this year's uh, silly season, what uh, the driver market has always uh, referred to, might be uh, sillier than uh, usual. Uh, So finally, uh, one more uh, story here. Just uh, This is a story from Adam Cooper over at uh, motorsport.com. And um, Ferrari says that uh, they reckon that uh, Ferrari, or sorry, Audi is going to have what they call a huge challenge to get ready for, for 2026. I mean, they're going to be building a car and a power unit and and everything else. And uh, these were the words of uh, Ferrari's um, power unit technical director, Enrico Galtieri. And uh, the, the, the quote was the following uh, when uh, he was interviewed by motorsport.com. Quote, it's hard to say, obviously, because I'm not in their facility or in their shoes. But in the end, I think that uh, for sure the level of complexity of this product is high and it's about that. uh, And it's true that preparing for a brand new project is not an easy task for anyone. So I can for sure respect the job that they are doing on this because for sure you need to learn and create something that is not only related to design competencies or skill from the engineering perspective, but also logistics and infrastructure. So they are facing an important and huge challenge as well, end quote. So head on over to motorsport.com. Check out that story written by Adam Cooper. And I think that uh, there's definitely some very interesting uh, quotes in there uh, by uh, Gualtieri. And uh, certainly, I mean, if they need any tips and uh, about uh, getting, a, you know, a new team up and uh, ready and running, uh, go talk to Honda. Well, maybe not so much uh, about the team, but Honda came into things in, in 2015 with the power unit side that uh, was uh, certainly, it, it started much later than Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault prior to 2014. So it took them a long time to, to really get to, uh, things uh, up and running and uh, certainly uh, Audi has uh, you know bitten off a very very big project in uh, getting a team into Formula One for for, for next year and uh, uh, well not for next year for two years from now and certainly it's uh, one we're all going to be looking forward to seeing how they do once they hit the track and this time next year we'll have actually have seen the Audi uh, for the for the very first time as uh, we'll obviously expecting to see them hit the track in Bahrain for a preseason testing in February of 2025 anyways that's it I'm, I'm starting to run out of breath here it is now uh, well almost quarter to midnight here in the in the studio so it's time to wrap it up thank you uh, one and all for uh, listening 
listening to the show. Oh, actually, I'm a little bit, uh, I, I do have one more thing here. I did have one final, uh, I had a message here come into the uh, the studio line from uh, Michelle Z in West uh, Palm Beach. Wanted to play this. My apologies, Michelle. I almost forgot about you. So let's play that before I, <laughs> I turn off the lights, turn it off. So let's have a listen now. Hi, Mark. This is Michelle. I am in sunny South Florida in the West Palm Beach area. And my question is, during testing, the engines that they use, are those part of their yearly allocation? So they have four engines this year. Does the testing engine count as towards those? Thank you for your time. All right. Well, thanks for that. And yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, they they do have the four power units uh, for this year was increased by one over over last year. And this was like a cost cutting measure that was uh, put in a, in place a number of years ago. And we see this uh, throughout the, the season, all these uh, components and gearboxes and other uh, bits and pieces that go onto the engines like the MGUH, MGUK, the, uh, the ICE, the internal combustion unit or the internal combustion engine, et cetera. And all these, uh, you know, the penalties that, uh, that go into it once they exceed their, their limits and, uh, you know, penalties when they change them at the track and stuff like that. But when it comes to preseason testing, we're still not into the season itself. So as far as I know, that doesn't count against their, their allotment uh, for the entire year. And when you think about it, I mean, that, that is a lot. I mean, we're going to have what, 24 races this year and four power units that, um, you know, they, they had to do something and I, I totally respect and understand the fact that they, they, they want to keep, uh, you know, the, the, the costs under control and we have this $130, sorry, $130 million, uh, budget cap in place because I mean, uh, back in the day before the, the, the budget cap came into play a couple of years ago, it literally was spend as little or as much as you want. It doesn't matter. There's, there's no floor, or no ceiling just, uh, you know, have at it and, uh, <laughs> just do what you want. But nowadays, I mean, I think for the for the long term viability and survivability of uh, not just the individual teams but the of the sport itself, it is important to have these uh, limits in place. And uh, certainly, uh, when it comes to that, all the uh, limits and allotments for the, the 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 power units and all those components and gear boxes, boxes, pardon me, etc., is an important uh, thing to have. But uh, great question, and I've noticed over the past couple of weeks since I put the studio line in place that it seems that uh, that Florida seems to be the one that represents. Uh, really great. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the the messages and call-ins we've had from from folks have come from uh, from Florida, and I'm a little bit uh, jealous. It sounded uh, by the message there that things in West Palm Beach uh, over the weekend were a lot nicer than they were up here in the Pacific Northwest. And I guess that's the big difference between Vancouver, Canada and South Florida <laughs> at the end of uh, February. But hey, I like where I live too. We have our moments, maybe just uh, when it comes to weather-wise, that just don't ask me in February how the, the, the weather compares to some of the warmer climates in uh, North America or in other parts of the world that uh, where, where you might be listening to the podcast uh, right now. Anyways, it is uh, now time to, to turn off uh, the lights here in the studio. Got a little bit of editing to do before. I call it a night. Um, again, thank you uh, one and all for for joining me, me uh, for joining me this evening. I have a special guest uh, joining me later this week, and looking forward to, to doing that one. And I'll tweet out uh, a teaser and some uh, questions because I know that uh, once uh, he comes on the show, that I know that a lot of uh, you will want to ask questions and, and weigh in on that. So I'll just leave that hanging for a couple of days. And uh, again, if you want to support the show, easiest way is just to spend a couple minutes of your time. 
time, just head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, etc. Leave a five-star rating and review if you enjoy the show and share it with a friend. And that's the, the easiest uh, way to do so uh, if you enjoy what I do here. And then also give me a follow on X at ScooterF1Pod. And if you want to also send me an email, you can send me an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to talking to you all uh, again in a couple of days. And until then, take care of each other and have a great week. Bye for now.